But what I can say is that an organization's DNI efforts must be linked directly and inextricably with the organization's overall budgeting process. Welcome to the Voices of Inclusion podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical advice shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson.io, the world's first DEI operating system. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io. The link to connect with us is also in the description. Let's get back to the episode. I know you as an incredible DEI leader that uh, has an amazing TEDx speech, um, and I know that you've been doing a lot in DEI for a while, um, but for the people that don't know you yet, uh, could you let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, first of all, happy to be with you today. Uh, my name is Tamika Green. I've been a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner for a little over 15 years. And I am currently working as the global head of culture, belonging, and diversity at Chegg, which is an education technology company based in Santa Clara, but I'm based in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I have really been focused on making sure that workplaces are equitable and welcoming for employees and really helping to drive business impact through ensuring that we have maximum employee engagement and inclusion of all. So that's really been my focus for the last 15 years. That is awesome. Um, and I know that, you know, in the leadership position uh, that you're in now, um, we know that accountability measures are incredibly important, um, especially in DEI. But uh, what are some accountability measures that mean the most to you, especially now? I think one of the areas that I think organizations and diversity practitioners really need to focus a lot on is retention. When you hear about diversity and organizations, what you normally result or think about is attracting, attracting talent, hiring diverse talent, bringing in talent. Um, but it kind of stops there. It's like, well, you can bring as many people in the door as you want, but if they don't feel valued and welcomed and have opportunities for growth, they're going to walk out the back door and you're never going to make a difference. So I think retention is a huge accountability measure that organizations and practitioners should really focus on. Um, not saying that attracting and recruiting isn't important, but how do you keep great talent? How do you grow? great talent so they can stay with you from an organizational perspective and help make you successful. Um, another accountability measure that I think is important is engagement. Is the more engaged an employee is, the more likely that they are to stay with your organization for a long period of time, the more that they're likely to refer potential candidates or potential business to your organization. Um, but they're willing to give more of their discretionary time going above and beyond, if you will, to make the organization successful. So finding ways to measure employee engagement, employee satisfaction, I think is something that is also a important 
accountability measure that practitioners and organizations can use to really help drive change within the organization. And, you know, when you talk about um, engagement as well as uh, the trajectory of people when they get in. I think one of the challenges when a lot of people join companies is that there's not a clear path for what they're going to do next. So um, sometimes that promotion comes up and that they thought they were going to get and they don't get it and they end up leaving. Um, and that becomes a, a retention issue. Um, but another thing you mentioned regarding engagement, I feel like um, engagement is tough because I think especially in the DEI space, sometimes people might feel tokenized um, and they may, it, how do you, how do you battle or navigate that, um, you know, the, the, I guess the dynamic of um, wanting the most engagement and hoping that though some employees don't feel tokenized? That's a, that's a good question. I think it, it, it is a challenge and a delicate dance that organizations have to play. I will say that when an organization is starting on their diversity journey, they have to start somewhere. Right. So oftentimes they may hire key, uh, they may hire diverse talent in key roles. And that talent may be the only one or few for a while. Um, but because it takes time to build momentum and to build um, a program or initiatives that really make an impact. And it takes time to see the fruits of your labor as well. I think one of the things that organizations um, should consider, especially when they're getting started in the journey and starting to diversify their workforce or enhance representation, is to acknowledge, to say, listen, we're getting started. Um, we have, you know, we have made some decisions to hire talent and we are taking steps in that direction, but we have to start somewhere. And so, you know, our representation is not where we want it to be by any means, but we're making strides to that. Um, I think the tokenism piece, which is, which is a valid concern and question that you brought up, I think is dispelled somewhat mm -hmm. if you get the employees involved in what you're doing and be transparent with them and say, listen, you know, we understand, we acknowledge that you may be the only one on your team or, but we are doing what we can. We'd love your feedback. We'd love some input as to ways that we can enhance what we're doing. I'm not saying the onus is on the employee, but I am saying, mm -hmm. um, there is a opportunity to get employees involved by sharing that story with them on where you are in your journey as an organization and helping them understand that this is our stake in the ground by bringing you in on making a commitment to continue to enhance representation in the organization. But it is a delicate dance where the tokenism piece um, can can cause some challenges is if the organization isn't really, <laughs> after a while, isn't really showing 
that they're making efforts to change their representation. You know, after a while, it's like, well, I'm the only one here. I've been here for a while. Where, where, where are others that, where, where is the representation? That's where I think you can get into trouble as an organization seeming like you are only doing this for not the right reasons, if you will, whether it's public relations or whatever that is. Um, but I think if you're not showing that you're making steps or progress in, the, in that direction on enhancing representation, then understandably so, those employees will feel like tokens. And that's something that I think is a challenge that, um, that organizations really need to be very mindful of. Um, that's why retention is so important. That's why it's not just, okay, once I bring you in, I'm done. It's like, no, how can we help you feel like you're a part of our organization, that you're part of making a difference? How can we make sure that you feel like you have some skin in the game while you're here as an employee? So that's why I mentioned retention and engagement is so important. But yeah, you do bring up a good point. It, it's, it, it's tough, but you've got to get started somewhere. That makes so much sense. Um, yeah. And I know, you know, when we talk about relationships, we know that uh, networking is incredibly important. Um, and I know that you're a part of Chief. Um, how has it been working with Chief so far? Um, well, Chief, for those of your listeners that may not know, Chief is a organization that's focused on enhancing networking and professional opportunities for women executives from a certain, I think it's VP and above is the level. Um, thousands of women have joined Chief over the last several years, and I've been fortunate to have been a member since June of this year, of 2022, excuse me. And um, it's been a great um, experience thus far. Um, I have been, um, there's tons of programming opportunities that are available to Chief members. Um, they have flagship locations in various cities across the country and now the world. I believe they're in London now and are expanding their global footprint. But there's a location here in New York and San Francisco, Los Angeles, et cetera, larger cities. Um, but I'm sure they're going to expand their footprint in other places. Um, but it's been wonderful. It's been nice to be able to meet other women that are in similar roles like myself or at similar levels in, in their career journey like myself. They also invite external speakers to come in from Melissa, excuse me, Melinda Gates spoke a few weeks ago and Ken Chenault, former CEO from American Express spoke. And, um, you know, so very high caliber speakers um, have been coming in and speaking to chief members on a regular basis. So, the opportunity to be able to hear from thought leaders, entrepreneurs, um, innovators, trailblazers um, has been a tremendous um, benefit to myself. And I'm sure that the other members feel the same way. It's been a great experience and I look forward to continuing um, being a member of Chief. That's awesome. Yeah, and I can imagine uh, being where you are in your position, being able to talk to people um, that are like, wow, she gets it. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. For people aren't that aren't there yet um, in that senior executive level, 
Um, are there other groups that you would refer them to um, in terms of their networking or even professional development? Um, well, I think the first place that employees should look at is in their own organizations. Um, one place that I think is a great way to network, expand your um, development and leadership skills and to learn more about the business and to just, um, you know, make connections is with your employee resource groups if your organization is lucky to have them. At Chegg, we have eight different types of employee resource groups. We do have one called Chegg Her, which is focused on women here in the organization. Um, lots of organizations have different types of ERGs that are centered in traditional dimensions of diversity, um, LGBT, African-American, Hispanic, et cetera. Um, so those are, those are great places to be able to, um, to network. So as I mentioned, our, our CHEG HER or our CHEG's women's um, ERG is really focused on hearing, empowering, and responding to women and their allies. And our ERG is a community that asks important questions, discusses relevant issues, shares key learnings and best practices, partners with local resources, organizations, nonprofit organizations, and really supports each other throughout their professional journey. So we have over 200 members of our CHEG HER ERG, which I believe is our larger, one of our larger, if not largest ERGs. And it is a wonderful resource for women um, to be able to connect and learn from each other. So I would recommend definitely checking internally to see if you have employee resource groups. They may be called affinity groups or business resource groups or communities or circles. Um, various different names or vernaculars, but the essence of an employee resource group is a, is a great place to start. Um, there are other organizations, um, depending on, um, you know, what the area of interest is. For example, if females or women are interested in starting their own business, there's the National Association of Women Business Owners. They have chapters all around the country in various cities where women can get together in their local communities and talk about the challenges of being an entrepreneur and a female entrepreneur, um, which is which adds a little more layers of complexity. Um, so that's an example of, but there's tons of female-centric groups that are out there depending on you know what you're looking for, but I would definitely start with um, ERGs if you have them at your organization. That's perfect. Um, and you mentioned Chegg a little bit. Um, you know, Chegg, I know is one of those iconic companies. Um, what is it like to work at Chegg? Oh, it's been great so far. I've been here since November 7th. Um, so it's only been a couple months. Um, I have really been not surprised, but very pleased with how welcome I feel from the very first day, even before I started, I felt very welcome. Um, everyone here has been really open and has helped me learn a lot in a short amount of time. And the thing I like about Chegg for me as an employee is there's a lot of tenured employees. People have been here 10, 15 years. 
So to me, that means that if I want to grow at this organization, then that's something that I can do and is encouraged. Um, one of the things that I also like about Chegg, which is what drew me to the position, is their mission statement. Um, you know, I've been in this industry for a long time, and I'm at a point in my life and career where I wanted to land in a place that was really mission and purpose driven. And their mission is really focusing on improving the lives of students by enhancing their learning incomes by putting outcomes by putting them first. They work with mostly undergrad students, some high school students as well, but they prioritize the needs of a student. And my parents were educators. So my sister and I went to the same elementary school that my parents you know, educated us at. And it was a great experience to be able to be in an environment where education was a main focus for us growing up and being able to go to college and graduate, you know, education changed my life and opened up so many doors. So I really am proud to work for an organization that is really helping to support students and help them be successful now and in the future. It's amazing. Check sounds like a great place to be. <laughs> um, I think I think it's great. You know, yeah. I, I I think it's great. I think that um, you know, it's it's great to work for an organization um that really cares about their people, their employees, about their customers, um, that is really willing to step into, you know, it's an ed education technology company for those that aren't familiar. Um, so, you know, technology is something that's really top of mind for the organization, always trying to use cutting edge technology, again, to be able to, re to reach our students where they are and to give them opportunities to advance and learn and grow. Um, education is one of the most important issues in our nation. Yeah. And other countries must address these issues. And so you know, technology for us, we know is the future of education. And we know that through technology, we can expand access to our students that have traditionally been excluded. And, you know, bringing them the benefits of education to those who need it most. So it's just a great place. You know, it's at a great, we're at a great time um, where, you know, there's a lot of change. Um, you know, the world is beginning to open up. COVID is, I don't know what it's doing, but <laughs> I don't think it knows what it's doing either. Right. But slowly but surely, people are beginning to, you know, organizations are beginning to open up and, you know, students are going back to school and campuses. So it's nice to be a part of an organization that is at the forefront of making such a, a tremendous change in the lives of so many. That's awesome. Um, you know, there are a few gaps in society that I think that we can address today, but um, I think one that's really important to DEI is pay equity. Um, in, in your opinion, how do you think we can close the pay equity gaps um, in our workspaces today? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the things that organizations should do is review their compensation on a regular basis. Um, I think that it's really important to do an assessment to ensure that you're paying your employees fairly and equitably. At Chegg, you know, I'm happy to say that we review and benchmark 
our compensation ranges yearly to ensure that we're being competitive, but also that we are, you know, paying our employees equitably and fairly. Um, it's very easy to, especially when you're, when organizations grow quickly and you're hiring a lot of people trying to fulfill the needs of your clients and customers, that um, you get caught up in, you know, making sure that you're bringing people on board and getting them up to speed as quickly as you can so they can be productive and, again, be able to um, do great work for your clients and customers. But also, I think organizations need to slow down once in a while and take a look at the landscape and say, okay, now that we've done all of this, let's take a look and see where we are, see, you know, making sure that we're, you know, part of being an organization that's diversity focused is ensuring that you have an inclusive environment. And it's not just about making people feel welcomed and warm and fuzzy and that they belong there. Part of inclusion is making sure that your policies and practices are inclusive of all, are equitable, and that is one of those policies and practices um, that is part of your inclusion process as an organization is to ensure that you are pay, paying your, your, your employees fairly and equitably across the board. So that's the probably the number one way that organizations could help close the pay equity gap in the workspaces that they're in. Yeah, that's great advice. And, um, you know, in the news recently, there's been a lot of uh, articles and, and chats around um, DEI leaders being the first uh, team members to go um, due to these, these, uh, the layoffs, especially in tech companies and other companies. Um, a lot of times we know that, that DEI leaders don't have a budget to actually make an impact sometimes. Um, but is there a rule of thumb for what DEI leaders uh, budgets should be? I can't really give you a specific number because it really depends on the organization um, and size and scope and the product and services that they provide. But what I can say is that an organization's DNI efforts must be linked directly and inextricably with the organization's overall budgeting process. One of the challenges in the DNI space is that it's seen as a separate entity. It's something that's somewhat taken on the side. It's not incorporated into the culture and fabric of some organizations. So it's very hard to make traction and to make a difference. So one of the ways to ensure that you're starting from the very beginning to ensure that DNI is something that is viewed as a business, business objective, just like anything else, is to use a similar process for budgeting that department or team, just like any other process. Um, it shouldn't be done as an aside or after the, after the fact. Um, so it should be something that is considered just as important as anything else in your business. Um, you should really think about what the impact will be on the entire company when you think about your budgeting process from the suppliers that you use to the people that you hire, as we talked about representation earlier and your capacity to find pools of talent to the nonprofit organizations that you have the potential to support because of your willingness to have 
a decent DNI budget. Um, so making sure that funding is there to be able to do the work um, is definitely critical, but it should be treated just like any other business business unit. Um, just because DNI teams, generally speaking, don't make products and services or widgets like other teams or functions does not mean that it isn't just as important. And of course, I'm going to argue more important <laughs> to get the proper funding from the very beginning. So I think if you take a look at the potential that a DNI function has on growing your business, growing your brand, growing your footprint, I think that the um, the, the budgetary process should be viewed um, in a similar way, but be taken into account from the very beginning. Yeah, and it seems like um, that has a lot to do with the storytelling around um, what DEI means to the company and how you'd like to make that impact. You mentioned that you're gonna make sure you uh, articulate that up front. Um, but you know, when we talk about that, sometimes it's really hard for DEI leaders to secure a budget. So um, how can we make the progress uh, seem a, a little bit more linear in order for DEI leaders to secure budgets for their DEI resources? Um, setting goals um, and like realistic goals. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, especially when you're getting started, if an organization is getting started in this space, taking the DNI journey, they don't know what they don't know. So really taking a good look at where you are, taking, looking, um, giving the opportunity to make a general assessment of where your organization is from a workforce perspective, et cetera. And then using that information to create specific targets and goals that you're trying to shoot for, and then use that to back into finding a budget. You know, if you know that as for an example, if you do an assessment for an organization as a DNI leader, and you see that there isn't, um, that there hasn't been a focus on educating employees about the importance of diversity or unconscious bias or unconscious bias, et cetera. Um, whether you look at engagement scores or um, engagement surveys, et cetera, and you see there's some discrepancies, then that would be a place that you would probably start saying, I need a training budget. I need, we need to train our employees and leaders on how to work with people from different backgrounds, clients from different backgrounds, et cetera. So knowing that you need training, that will help you determine the type of budget that you need in that particular arena. So that's a good place to start is really taking an overall assessment of where the organization is, putting together a set of concrete goals and using that to determine how you should um, figure out wh what your budget should be. That's great advice. Um, and you know, you have all of this great advice because of your incredible story in part of that. Um, could you talk a little bit about your career journey um, and how you got to, to this point? Sure. Um, it's funny because it's one of those, I get asked a lot, like, how did you get into 
diversity and inclusion. Like I did not go to college for this. I did not major in this. This was something that was never on my radar. Um, well, I started in the space, like I said, back in 2007. And I was working at a contract food service company at the time. And I was looking for another opportunity. And I had majored in communications in college. And there was this marketing and communications role on this new team called the diversity team. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I had heard about diversity a little bit. I had worked at a financial institution prior to joining this company. And this was back in 2003. So we're talking, gosh, 20 years ago. It just like this long time ago. Um, But they just started talking about diversity and inclusion wasn't even used yet. It was just this thing called diversity. And I had started hearing about it, but didn't really know what it was. So I interviewed for this role and got the, got the job and um, started probably about six or nine months into the role. Something clicked for me. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but I was like, wow, this is really cool. I'm working for a team in an organization that's willing to put their time and resources towards making sure that employees like myself can reach my full potential regardless of where I came from, what I look like, who I love, and what I believe in. And I was really proud to be a part of something like that. And I really enjoyed the marketing and communications work that I was doing, but I wanted to do more. So at the time, my boss at that time, Rahman Khan, who gave me the job, he moved on to greener pastures. And I then started reporting to Vince Berkeley, who was the chief diversity officer at the time at this organization. And he took me under his wing and started showing me the ropes on how to act as a consultant internally to help leaders understand the importance of diversity and inclusion understand the impact that we can make together on creating a climate of inclusion by helping to hire, promote, retain diverse talent, all talent, of course, but our focus was diverse, um, and to, you know, really help make change in the organization. And that's how it all started. And it's been a wonderful journey for the last 15 years. I've worked at all different types of companies, different sizes, shapes, colors, different business sectors. And it has been a blessing to be in this space for so long. And I have grown um, to love this work. It's a passion of mine. I mean, it's something that's extremely important, Um, but it's been a wonderful journey um, and the space is, is um, very dynamic, which is why I have loved being in the space. There is not, not one day is the same as the next, um, but it's meaningful and purpose driven work. So um, it's been, um, again, it's, I've been very grateful and blessed to have been able to be in this space for as long as I have. So that's my journey thus far and it's still going, it's still going. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was I was reading your um, or I read your uh, articles from years ago, and it seems as though your perp you've always had that purpose driven approach. Um, so it's amazing to see that you're really you're still crushing it now. Um, oh, thank you. 
and I just did I just wanted to do one quick plug that okay. you know Tamika's TED talk <laughs> was one of those jaw droppers for me I, you know when I saw it I was just I was listening to it and I was like wow this is a great story and then you some of the details you know you shared with made me go wow how how did she do this so um I just wanted to share that um before we go but uh for people that want to get in contact with you Tamika how should people get in touch with you? Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. That was very nice. Oh, of um, course. Doing a TEDx was a bucket list um, <laughs> thing of mine. So I did that last May, about a week before my birthday. So that was in mm. 2021, actually. Um, so I encourage everyone to try it. It was scary and all of those things. <laughs> Hard to memorize all of that for 15 minutes, but I appreciate the compliment. I hope everyone, um, if they check it out, I hope they, I, I hope they get some nuggets of wisdom out of that as well. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me, please um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the best way to um, reach out to me. Would love, look forward to connecting with you all there. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so Tamika, if there was one action you would urge our listeners, our DEI leaders um, to take after listening to this episode, uh, what would that action be? I would actually say two things. Um, I would definitely urge DNI leaders to take care of themselves and to really lean into the DEI community for support and help. The last three years have been tough for all of us, but I think even more so for DNI leaders in organizations because of the sheer number and impact of external events that have been happening from George Floyd to Breonna Taylor's killing to Armand Marbury's killing through anti-Asian hate and anti-Semitism. It's just been so much. And organizations have leaned a lot on DNI practitioners and leaders over the last three years to really help them determine what to do, how do how to respond, um, how to be authentic in these moments of trials and tribulations, and to determine what next steps organizations to make should make in order to make an impact in spite of all of these changes. So I would definitely recommend to take care of yourself. It's, it's been tough. So, um, you know, tap into your support village, take some time to take a step back and really reflect on what matters most and why you're in this, why you're doing this work is because it's great work. It's purpose-driven work, but you know, it's, it's been a tough three years. So just to take care of yourselves and really lean into the DNI community for support and help in order to keep yourself going. We can't end it any better than that. Tamika Green, thank you so much for joining us for the Voices of Inclusion podcast. This was awesome. Thank you. And thank you very much for your time. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io and book a call to speak with us. The link is in the description. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time.